Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. I am so fired up. It is Friday. And I'm not going to talk a lot here in the open because we have a jam-packed episode with my man Chris from the Card Ladder team, baby, at Chris underscore H-O-J. We talk about a lot, and we are covering the golden auction results. Get ready. A lot of insights, a lot of nuggets. Definitely check out the newsletter. Issue two is in your inbox if you're a subscriber. Just go to my uh, link on my Instagram page. Hit the link. Sign up. It's free trying to curate some hobby content for all of you, share some thoughts. All right, without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. Welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. I got my man, Chris, from the Card Ladder team on here today. It's been a big week of the hobby, in the hobby, I should say. We had golden auctions popping off, a lot of all-time highs. Go figure. I think we all probably could have expected that. Um, And so what I want to do is just, talk with Chris about just some of the outcomes of that, what it means for our hobby and just uh, break it down a little bit. But without further ado, how are you doing, Chris? Doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you? I cannot complain outside of a little bit of technology uh, mishaps I've had over the course of the last 24 hours we were chatting before. And I might as well tell my audience right now, I spilled uh, my cup of coffee on Sunday on my laptop um, and now I'm playing catch up, had to buy a, uh, a, uh, really shitty one from target and it, but it's, a, it's, it's working and we're podcasting and having a conversation. So I can't really complain. Glad to hear how, how old was your laptop that's now out of commission? Can it I was, ask? uh, yeah, it was about, uh, I think it was like two years. So it wasn't like brand new, but it wasn't super old either. It still had some, uh, life in it. I know that. Yeah, I'm on year four of the laptop I bought for when I started law school, and uh, it's still going strong. It's a uh, Asus. Keep all liquids away from it. <laughs> oh, I've learned that lesson myself as well. Uh, maybe before we jump in and talk about the week uh, and what we saw this week, I'd love to know uh, a little bit about just the work that's going on on the card ladder side. I think it seems like Each time I get it in the platform, there's something new, which is awesome. Obviously, it's a tool I support and endorse, not because we're hobby buddies, but I really believe in it. And it makes my life easier when I'm trying to make sense of this crazy hobby we're in. Uh, So talk to me about what's happening on the card ladder side. Yeah. So uh, all credit goes to Josh and the developers and and the team for constantly coming out with feature a feature b feature c i mean we're on like feature z now you know some of the stuff uh that we did recently that um on the feature side is just you know some some ai stuff like now if you have a slab you you take a picture of your slab uh you upload it to your collection and the software will automatically read all of the contents of the label and autofill it into uh the card profile that you're building for your collection so that's cool i have no idea how that works but uh it does work i i can attest to that um and then you know something else we rolled out that's interesting that that's more up my alley that i actually can't explain how it works is the cl50 
So we introduced an index um, of 50 iconic sports cards. The goal was um, to, to select 50 athletes and or characters. And I, I have to say character because um, Charizard is in there. And, and, you know, then pick, it's impossible to say what card is one player's most iconic card in some instances, but just pick an iconic card in a relatively frequently transacted grade in order to give a snapshot of the health of the hobby. And obviously um, an index is not representative of the whole hobby, right? Because there's hundreds of thousands of cards that come out of a pack and are worth 20 cents and they always will be. (laughs) The point of the index is more to represent the investment grade cards, how those are performing over time. And because we have all-time sales histories, we can retroactively look at how this index did over the last however many years. So that's cool. The, the index is really cool. And the index was, uh, and, the, and the reason why we did this was to give this data set to people in the hobby, obviously, but people outside of the hobby who are looking at headlines, like we're going to talk about, of all-time highs. Oh, this card sold for $2 million. Okay, but contextualize it. What did the last one sell for? How much is it appreciated? Has it ever sold for significantly less or was it close to this? Like, how do I make sense of this? What does this mean? You know? And so people who take more than a cursory interest in the hobby want to know that. And so an index can sort of give a snapshot at any moment. And those snapshots only mean something when they're taken in context of each other. You know, you plot all these data points over time. And uh, the, the index can tell people who, you know, are learning the hobby what it's looked like, uh, at least from the perspective of these 50 cards. And so uh, Card Ladder was featured um, in a Financial Times article, which was, a to most people, fairly, that's like, okay, cool. But to me, it's amazing because um, it's, uh, it's serving the need that I always wanted to serve, which is supplying a credible data source to a credible news outlet for the purpose of educating people on the performance of the hobby and the index played a role in the author of the financial times article being able to access the data and having a a reference point to come back to and so and we did a little youtube episode on the index and stuff and she quoted it and so it was good it was a milestone it was a it was a milestone for the for the company to get that level of to be to be cited in a financial times article was pretty sweet yeah, that that's certainly awesome. And I think credibility in any shape, way or form in the hobby is a good thing. And I think the hobby right now is going through maybe a little bit of growing pains and trying to figure itself out. You've got just tremendous movement happening. Um, I think, you know, the dominoes started with Nat and, you know, the deal closing with collector's universe. And then, you know, all of the attention's been on Ken golden and the golden auction and the $40 million and the group, which gave him $40 million. And it's just explosive. And this, these types of moves and headlines bring interest from people who aren't in the hobby. They, they read the headline and then they're interested and they think about the thing we all thought about when we got back into sports cards, you know, Oh, I used to collect sports cards. You know what? I have some, and then that starts this whole thing where people, new participants get in and then they're trying to figure it out. And I was much like that in you know a spot not too long ago. So I think with all of these changes and money and the industry's moving so fast, there's 
a lot of growing pains a little bit, I think. And I guess just what what's your perspective on just that as new money gets in, the hobby's becoming big business, the infrastructure's not completely there yet to support it. So we're feeling some pains um, maybe as the users. Um, what are your thoughts just on that? A lot of topics there. Good ones too. Uh, I love the idea of growing pains. I'd love to hear you do an episode on that topic. Um, I believe you've already recorded Wednesday's episode, but maybe next Wednesday's we could get a segment on growing pains because um, because it, it's very real. So one thing I've been thinking about lately are the mechanics of how a market expands, and undeniably the market has expanded. Uh, as a guy who looks at eBay data all the time, in October, which was like a low point of the last year, uh, you know eBay sport on the sports card front. Uh, this and this isn't a perfect metric, but roughly speaking, we were tracking about one third as many sales per day as we do now. Yeah, and on big days, it's like one tenth we were tracking on sometimes. So, like, is it fair to say that the size of the market has expanded three to ten x? Well, that data doesn't prove that, and it doesn't even come close to proving it logically, but it gives insight into the expansion of market. And you can count that as one data point that suggests that this market has rapidly expanded. Another one is the index. The index is up like 300% over the last quarter. So it got, got me to thinking about the mechanics of how market expands. And in particular, thinking about how does a market continue to expand? So I think about it like this. There's old-time collectors who have acquired cards maybe for $100 five years ago that are worth $1,000 today. And let's say that they decide to sell the card. $1,000 in today's market is very much an entry-level card. You know that, That'll get you half of a 2002 Topps Chrome Base Yao Ming PSA 10. So $1,000 is an entry-level card these days. Five years ago, it was not. It was like a nice card from my point of view. So uh, suppose you know so a new market entry comes in and buys your $1,000 card. Uh, from you, the five-year collector. If you take that thousand bucks and put it back into the hobby by any number of ways, maybe some of it goes to grading, but most of it goes to buying other cards or, or you know, buying stuff from other people in the hobby ecosystem. Now the market size has gone from 1,000 to 2,000 instantly because you had $1,000 of new money come in and then that $1,000, which was previously stored in that card, has now been put onto other cards. And this is why consolidation is so important. This is why consolidation expands the size of the market dramatically every time it happens. And by consolidation, I mean somebody, which I've done this many times, somebody acquires 20 cards that are mid-range, $1,000, $2,000, sells them all to other hobbyists, generally speaking, new people who are coming at that price range. And I take that pile of cash and I go buy one big card. And then if that person I bought that big card from takes that cash and goes and buys other cards with it, the market keeps expanding. The, the market absorbs new money and new people. The flip side of that, how does the market contract or how does the market stabilize? So if instead I take my earnings off of those, those 20 cards that I sold and I go buy a house instead of going and buying a card. Now it's a net wash. Now, now there's value stored in those new cards that came in, but I took money out of the hobby ecosystem. So I think that's gotta be part of the explanation for how the market has grown, is that money comes in and the people who receive that money put it back in as well. 
and the market expands. So people ask, how can the hobby go parabolic? And it's the addictive nature, the passion that we have for cards, which when we get money, capital infusions, uh, we don't think super rationally and, you know, allocate our money. We're like, we're going to, I'm going to, okay, I need to go buy another card. So, and, and so how can a market expand parabolically? That's how. Yeah. And so on that point, I need to go buy another card. We need to go buy another card because of the process of making that decision with infinite possibilities and infinite opportunities in our collection is fun. And that's what drives this all. The pursuit of a card that you've been chasing, the pursuit of a card that fits, you realize fits into your PC, a a pursuit of a card that you maybe not even thought about, but somebody was talking about the player and it triggered thoughts and you went down the rabbit hole of looking at a new player. And, you know, when you've got cash and you've got an addiction like we all do in the hobby, it happens pretty quickly. And I think for me, it's like, I feel like I could just sit here and buy cards all day. I'd probably go broke doing it. But I think for me, it's some self-discipline. I got to have some self-discipline. I got to make selling a part of my process. So I'm not like all the way, uh, I've, I've blown through all my cash. But I think, I don't know, I think about myself and the way I operate and I'm not perfect at all by any stretch. But I, I like, I lead with, that passion and I lead with the collector's mindset. And I feel like, I know you talk about this a lot, but I feel like the more you lead with that collector's mindset, the longer, the more fun you'll have, the more your cards will appreciate and the longer you'll probably be staying in the hobby, which will in turn lead to the hobby's growth. Totally. The collector's mindset time and again, not only proves to be, in my observations, the superior investment strategy. Uh, and I think there's reasons for that that, I'm, that I'll talk about. But it's also just a, a very fun way to enjoy the hobby for, for many of us. Not all of us. You know, some of us love the thrill as well of, or the, the, the intellectual validation of buying a card when it was cheap, identifying a profit opportunity, selling it when the market comes around to it later. Collectors, that's not necessarily the collector way. Um, and there is, it's not black and white. It's not, you can only be one or the other. All of us are some mix of both. But the collector mindset, it wins and it does well because collectors understand the fundamentals of a collectible market. And they they understand that the thing that drives value and the thing, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm on Clubhouse now, right? And Clubhouse is fun. It's the closest thing to being at a card show that has popped up yet in the digital space because it's just clusters of eight to 10 people having audio only conversations. And sometimes there's more, you know, people fill up audiences, but the hobby clubhouse is like small rooms for the most part. And when you're in those rooms and you're wanting to talk to other people about the hobby, you quickly, quickly realize how to say things about cards that are exciting and that are interesting and that impress people and how to say things about cards in the hobby that are kind of turnoffs. And without fail, the things that are interesting and exciting about cards to talk about with other card people is when you can teach them something new about the card's history, about the set, about the picture. Uh, Maybe there's something special about the particular photograph in the game. Like one of my favorite Jordan cards is the 9899 Ultra. 
card, the base card, and then it has a gold and a platinum medallion parallel. And it's such a cool card because it depicts Jordan in his last game at Madison Square Garden in a Bulls uniform. And he had like 42 points. And uh, they talk about this game in the last dance. And he talks about how he wore his original uh, shoes and they were, you know, the wrong size and his feet were bleeding. There's a whole story that this card tells. It, it, it takes me back to when I took a class on music history uh, as an undergraduate. And the professor said, the only purpose of this class is so that when you guys are at a cocktail party somewhere, you can say something intelligent about these different composers and musicians and styles of music. And you, you have an interesting factoid. That's all that this class, that's the only purpose this class is ever really going to serve you. And I thought that, and I, and I think about that in terms of the hobby. And collectors instinctively, inherently care about the history of items, their place in the catalog of a particular player's cards, why this card is special. And these are ways to inspire vigor and passion in other people when we talk to them about the cards. And so Clubhouse has put another spotlight on why collectors really have a special insight into the market because they inherently are attracted to and care about the things that make cards exciting, that let us dialogue back and forth about cards that goes beyond you know, because it's very fun to talk about prices. I love to, you know, I, I love talking about the market, but there's more, but after the first 60 seconds of exchange, there's gotta be more. And so collectors have insight into that. This is a, this is not a stock market. This is a collectibles market. And collectibles markets, kind of like how we were just talking about the mechanics of a market expansion, they are very special markets that have huge potential because there's more than just an analysis. There's passion and there's enthusiasm and there's nostalgia. All these things exist in it as well. So yeah, a few thoughts there on the collector mindset. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think we, we've had a little back and forth on Clubhouse and I've shared i haven't i I haven't dipped my toe in yet but (laughs) someone like you talking about it gives me the thought that i might give it a little bit of a shot i think like for me it's um some of the stuff you described when i'm curating when i'm curating my time in the hobby and the feeds i want to go look at on instagram and like the content i want to consume i want that to be someone if they're posting their own card someone not only posting the card and it not saying, Hey, everyone, I bought this at, you know, a thousand bucks and now it's 12,000. Look at me. I don't want that. I want people posting that card and educating me on the card, the set, its population, why it's significant. And I feel like just as participants in the hobby, the more people can share their knowledge because so many people have knowledge and it's about giving back to the hobby as it is as it as it is uh more about giving back to the hobby than it is about trying to pump your own stuff we'll all be better for it and i know it's not going to be perfect but my perception and i could totally be wrong is that i didn't want to get jump on clubhouse because i didn't want to hear a bunch of people talking about their cards and how great they are no no that happens too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that happens a lot. I was using Clubhouse selectively. I was uh, I was choosing specific a uh, handful of times where it really worked right. But uh, Clubhouse is also the home of the egg card meme. Oh, 
Um, so this is clubhouse, you know, and, and, but it's amazing though, because they developed, uh, the, the theory for how to talk about the egg card because it was a very discur it's a very discursive platform. And so they go back and forth, back and forth, and they're figuring out how to develop, uh, the reasons why they like the egg card. And they came up with this whole theory about how it's Kylie Jenner's rookie card about how the card means a lot to pop culture because it's the cards from the Allen and Ginter set. And it replaced Kylie Jenner is the most liked picture in history. And so like there's many versions of the card that don't mention Kylie Jenner on the back. And so those are not considered, you know, part of the egg card movements. And, you know, they developed this whole way of talking about it. And then it, when it started gaining traction and they, and they had these like constant interactions with people on clubhouse, they quickly realized that like, let's pivot this into something positive so like now it's a there's a charitable movement behind it and they reframe the whole thing as being oriented towards getting kids back into the hobby i mean all this transpired like real time as people are figuring out what clubhouse is and how it's working and then you know also you'll log on there sometimes and there will be somebody just advocating zealously for their player and their cards and and you always are going to be subject to the same issue of you know who owns what and why are they saying this but but it's it's certainly a game changer in the world of just like dialoguing back and forth about cards and like Carvin, you know, architect of exquisite legend in the hobby. He will be on there at those those late night hours when I'm working late and I just mute myself and I just listen to the guy talk. And he, you know, he has great stories. Carvin alone, listening to him is worth the price of admission to get on the clubhouse. But I, but look, let me not paint an inaccurate picture. There's tons of BS on clubhouse as well. Uh, tons of it. Uh, I, I will give it a shot at some point. That's for sure. But I appreciate you being the uh, beta tester and you can provide <laughs> feedback. All right, let's, let's jump into the, the meat of the conversation. I think we had the golden auctions, which obviously were wildly successful. I think a lot of all-time highs. And if you just read the headlines, you would just say, man, the sports card market is really humming along. I think if you, you pop the hood and you look at what was going on underneath the hood, there were some not-so-great things happening. And I think this isn't about pointing the finger at anybody for doing something, not being prepared, and you know this and that. Like That's not what it is. This is just like an honest take because we were all there on Saturday night. Um, but I joined your and Josh's live stream because I was like, you know, I, I want to see what these guys are talking about. I'm not participating in in the golden auctions, but I, I know you were a participant. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But, you know, inevitably, there was issues with the website, issues with the platform. Ken got on an Instagram live was frustrated about it. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, how this was the last time they're changing platforms. Hey, didn't you just see we got $40 million? And I'm like, we're sitting here and we're arguing with people on an Instagram live. And there's just this incredible thing going on in the hobby right now. We don't, we're struggling with the technology. We don't know what to do. And there was just like this moment of like, what seemed to be panic during like, a Super Bowl type moment in the hobby. Luckily, it all kind of worked itself out, and you know, people were able to, you know, bid and the auctions closed out. But man, talk about anxiety. Like I I'm just sitting there on my with my phone hopping it 
over to people's Instagram live feeds and I had anxiety watching it. Um, talk to me about just like your perspective. You were hosting a live feed while competing on a card. So share some perspective. Yeah. And I was in the fortunate position of, you know, being a bidder. Um, if I was a seller, I might feel a little bit differently. So, I mean, first things first, big congratulations are in order to yep. Golden Auctions. Uh, we've all given them congratulations on the, uh, on the, the deal, the $40 million deal. And then uh, they had a 40, according to Ken, who I, I think I saw on CNBC today, they had a $45 million auction, 45.2 maybe is the number. And I, and I believe that's the biggest auction. I'm not sure of what type. Does that mean an auction that's like majority sports cards or something? I'm not sure. Sports and memorabilia, maybe. I'm, I don't know the history of auction sizes and stuff like that, but I, I do believe and have heard from several sources that whatever the category is, this is the biggest. So there's that. Um, so we say that and we acknowledge that. And like you said, there was lots of all-time highs, obviously. Um, very cool stuff as well um so basically like you, you remember that super bowl the 49ers and the ravens where like the power went out at halftime but by the way just yes because as a marketer and i gotta call out the best capitalizing on a moment in ad history probably is oreo do you remember the oreo ad during that at all yes yes they yes. they took to twitter and they said something about you can even dunk it in the dark or what and they had the graphic <laughs> ready it was like the design team, everyone was ready and they just busted that out. And, you know, people bought a shitload of Oreos afterwards. So, yes, I do remember. Yeah. So it was a little bit like that, right? Like there was uh, an interruption uh, at halftime, you might say, because the interruption happened right as the auction was extending from uh, the end of normal bidding and into extended bidding. And again, I'm a first time bidder, but my understanding of how that process works is there's a normal bidding period where the items are anybody who is approved can bid on them for a few weeks. When they go into extended bidding, only people who have already logged a bid during normal bidding time can then bid during extended bidding. And anytime a new bid is made, it resets the clock for another 30 minutes. So obviously we can see how that could go on and on for quite a while on cards. And in some cases it has, I know guys who have been up until like six in the morning <laughs> waiting for their cards to, for the extended bidding to end so that they can win. So, so in some cases it actually makes sense to make sure the card gets as high as it can uh, or as, as close to your max as possible during normal bidding to discourage a bunch of people from making little incremental bids and making extended bidding take forever. So right as the auction was getting was transitioning from the end of normal bidding to extended, which obviously that's going to be a time that has a flurry of activity because we procrastinate and we all rush to get our bid in or we snipe, um, although sniping doesn't make a ton of sense when there's extended bidding. Uh, right at that transition point, the site had a, you know, I, I don't know if crash is the technical term. The site was inoperational for must have been 10 or 15 minutes, maybe something like that. And Golden quickly sent an email. Uh, the auction house did and the social media accounts made statements saying, hey, we'll be back soon. Don't worry about this. Then, like you said, Ken got on an Instagram live and clarified, you know, they're using a hosting, an, an auction hosting platform. Uh, this will be the last time they're using them. But, you know, that's that's what happened. And so 
I mean, as a buyer, I'm like, hey, this might be good. This might scare some people off. This might, you know, I might be able to buy, you know, get my bid in and not have as much competition. If I'm a consigner or if I'm the auction house, you know, I, I get a little worried. Um, you know, maybe we're not going to maximize bids. Still was a record setting auction. So, right. but, but that was how it unfolded. And, you know, I do, I do empathize with, uh, with consigners and with the auction house, you know, to have the site go in operational there at that moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it can't feel great. You know, it can't feel great. Yeah. I think the positive is, is that a lot of people with a lot of credibility and a lot of money, just put that money into Ken's platform to, and one of the big initiatives is to improve technology. So I think, you know, that's exciting as a participant in the hobby is that that process hopefully will be approved, improved. And that's the last time we'll have to deal or see that again. So you mentioned you were um, bidding on a card. Yep. I'd love for you to maybe one share with the audience. Cause I, there's a lot of people, this is like the second one and probably people are like, well, what's the process look like to get pre-approved? I've got to do it now because I've been analyzing these auctions and yeah, I might not be the guy to go spend, you know, half a million dollars on, you know, a Kobe or a, you know, Kevin Durant rookie or whatever, but you know, there are some cards in here that I think are maybe not getting the attention they should because people are focused upstream a little bit. So talk to me about the what the process was like to get pre-approved on your end. And then I'd love for you to share with everyone the card you ended up winning and kind of what was going on in your head and sure. how long that took. Yeah. So I'm a person who just finally registered to bid on Golden like a week or two ago. Um, and you should leave yourself that much time uh for a reason that will soon follow so you you just go to create an account you create an account and plug in the information you need to plug in and then the way it worked for me was i was then able to bid up to a cap i think it was five thousand if you want to be able to exceed that cap which like most people bidding on golden do you need to then um, <laughs> get in contact with uh, a representative of the auction house and they provide the way to do that in your account uh now what happens is what i had to do and this this might be antiquated by the the, the the process might be antiquated by the time the new platform comes out. But what I had to do was I went to bid on the item that I wanted to bid on, and it was already over five thousand. So I got hit with a message that said, "You're you've exceeded your cap, so you need to email us." So I emailed them, went through the approval process, uh, received an unlimited ability to bid, and then I did. So you know, there's a couple steps, and and there's you know there's going to be a lag time. Uh, Obviously, you know, that auction house is well staffed, but the demand to be able to bid on their auctions and consign with them is super high. So give some time, give yourself time to get approved and then get your cap uh, increased if need be. But it was a very smooth process otherwise uh, and easy to do. Can you talk to me about, did you, before you put your bids in, how long did you look, go through all the listings, looking at it and coming to the determination that like, okay, this is a card I want to go after. Were there multiple cards you wanted to go after? Talk to me about what that process was like. Well, usually the cards the Golden has are out of my range, but this was a special auction. Uh, this one, predictably, commanded a number of items and a number of different ranges 
because of all the publicity that accumulated from Golden's previous uh, big-time auction. A lot of people saw that. A lot of people decided, let's send our items in. It's not dissimilar to you know when Mahomes won his first Super Bowl and everybody decided it was a good time to sell his cards and the cards <laughs> dipped. You know, I mean, if we, this happens again and again in the hobby where people are late um, because the event has already happened. And so everybody is thinking the same thing. The peak time, you know, has already passed if everybody's able to realize it and come to the conclusion and send it at the same time. So this auction was special, was, was unique. Um, it had items in a lot of different ranges. Golden always has that, but this time it just had more. Uh, there was, I, I believe, over, there was, there was nearly 5,500 items. 5,500 lots in this auction. So um, for first time ever, I was taken very seriously as, as a category that I could bid on. And, you know, I just searched my PC players. Um, when I'm, you know, when I'm getting serious about buying something, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's only going to be a PC player. So that's Jordan and Luca. So I start looking up the Jordans and like, those are, there's some really nice ones, you know, nothing that I need. I start looking up the Lucas and, and boom. I see one that I need. And did it, uh, did it hit you? Did it hit you right away? Were you like that? Oh, had, had you seen the card before? Oh yeah. No, I very familiar with the card. And I, I called Christina over as soon as I was looking at the auction preview. And I was like, look at this. What do you think about this? And she was like, yeah, she's like, I mean, she was all about it too. She's, she's even more enthusiastic about adding Luca PC stuff than I am. So, you know, I identified the card and then I figured out, uh, using the multiplier method that you and I use, um, I, I figured out the price roughly what I should expect the price to be. Uh, and so I don't know, can, should, I, should I just say what the card is now? Yeah. So, yeah. Dude. yeah right. <laughs> Let the cat, cat out of the yeah. bag. It's, it's, it's not worth the buildup that I'm giving it, but, uh, it's the 2018 prism gold luck of the lottery insert Luca in a BGS nine five. And so what's special about this card, if I was on Clubhouse, here's how I would describe it. What's special about this card is that uh, Luca only has two non-autographed Prism Gold cards. He has the base 280 Prism Gold, and then he has the Luck of the Lottery Prism Gold. Already have the base and in a BGS 9.5. So its complementary piece is the Luck of the Lottery. So And, and it was in a 9.5. So that's really cool. So right away, I, I say I need to figure out what this item is going to cost. Uh, what's the market value? So I use a multiplier method. And the way that works is really simple. This is how we generate all the predictions on card ladder. All that math is always there. Total transparency for people to see it. And what I did was I had to research the sales history of it. So I went and I found there was three sales of a Luck of the Lottery Gold Luca in a 9.5. And one was in late 2018, one was in late 2019, and one was uh, in the spring of 2020. And then I lined up what the Prism Silver PSA 10 was selling for at the same time. And so, you know, it, in late 2018, uh, it was 1.2x, the gold versus the uh, silver. In late 2019, it was 1.6x, the gold versus the silver. And then in April, it was 3.1x. So, like, the multiplier is getting bigger over time as more silvers get graded and whatnot and collector interest shifts. But that gave me a range. I said, so, okay, so the range here is probably 1.5 to 3X the value of the silver. And the silver PSA 10 is selling at around 8K. So that gives a huge range. You know, that, that means the range could be anywhere from 12 to 24K. 
And so that was my range. And I said, <laughs> but there's, there's probably not a, it's, it's not the, the lower end of that spectrum is probably not realistic. So I'm thinking probably 16 to 25 K is going to be the range. And that to me, that, that was too much. That was going to be too high. So I wasn't going to win the, item. uh, but I always knew. Can, there I, was a- can I ask a question? Was yeah. it, was it, was it too high because of the, you thought that was overpaying for it or was it too high just based on like what you were comfortable financially spending? Those, those two questions are more interrelated than maybe we often think. Um, a lot of times if I think something's overpriced, it's cause at the end of the day, you know, it's more than I would pay for it, but an item might not be overpriced to somebody else, even if it is to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, the, the, when you partition the questions like that, I think that that's a really interesting thought, but, but they are two different questions. And the, and the answer, it would be, it would be too much for me to allocate to like a complimentary card. Like that, that's not an investment card. That's like a complimentary card is for the collection. It's a collection piece. It's like a collector milestone to like, you know, pair that card with the other one. I can tell a cool story, right? It, it makes the gold, the base gold much cooler if I can tell this story about it. So uh, it was based on the fact like, yeah, just budget point of view. That's now we're starting to talk about a lot of money. And, you know, that kind of also maybe makes me think it's a little bit overvalued too. But I mean, how much, I, I don't know how Luca has two, Luca has a total of 20 cards from 2018 Prism that are gold. There's the 10 of the base and there's these 10 luck of the lottery that are, they're not autographed. So I don't know. I, I've got, it's, it's so tough to call something over or undervalued. From my perspective, I did not realize that there was only two non-autographed gold Lucas from 2018. And I'm not the only one. And the fact that, yes, there's a contingent of hardcore Luca collectors who saw that and immediately knew that. Right. But I, I, as a, as a non-hardcore Luca collector, I had, I had no idea, but by listening to your descriptor and listening to you talk about it, to me, it makes it seem like it's knowing what the market is doing right now. And especially Luca's market, it seems like it's a little bit undervalued based on what I would think if you were just to ask me, what do you think this card went for? Totally. Uh, And it's funny because when me and Josh were talking on Friday night, we were talking about ugly cards and uh, he, he, he says, and I, I, I get it that like, kind of like the cards that are like the player in their draft day suits and they're smiling and maybe they're holding a ball. You know, he just doesn't, those, those cards are not on the same level as cards of a player in in in-game action photography. And I, I totally agree. And yet, I find myself now like thinking about this luck because the luck of the lottery, Luca uh, depicts him, believe on draft day in a suit holding a basketball. And, and to me, it's like, this is his analog to, you know, the, the 2003 tops paper base LeBron, which mm. is him on draft day, goofy smile. LeBron is like the hat on white and, suit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Right. <laughs> Ridiculously white. Too. Yes. Yeah. So like that, it's this card, the, the luck, luck of the lottery to Lucas prison base is similar to LeBron tops paper base to LeBron, um, to LeBron tops Chrome. So that was, that was my line of thinking on that one as well. And that helps me, you know, tell the story of the card as well is that, 
uh, you know, here's this other kind of cool connection that I've made, you know, and people will like it or not like it and that's fine. But so, yeah, so, so it does seem to be, you know, a pretty cool card in the, in the Luca catalog. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, so, so here's what happened. I put my maximum bid at the absolute minimum of, of the spectrum, which was 12 K that was my maximum bid. And the, it went into extended bidding and it was like still at like nine or something like that. And like, then it got bumped up to 10 and then it just ended. It, it, it just ended. And I was just sitting there and I was like, did this really just end at 10 K um, pre uh, buyer's premium, obviously. And that's, that's, so that's something else to understand about golden auctions as well. The prices that you're bidding do not include the mandatory buyer's premium, which will be anywhere from 20 to 23% nor do they reflect sales tax if you have to pay that in your state as well. So after buyer's premium, a 10K hammer price on that card comes out to be 12K. So at the very bottom of the spectrum of where I thought that card would go, and like honestly, like nowadays, using prism silvers and prism base as like multipliers usually gives like too low of projections. (laughs) So um, to be able to come up on that card at that price, you know, it was nice. It was, it, I'm, I'm very pleased being able to add that card to the collection at that price with this story to tell about it. You know, it's kind of, you get checked all the boxes. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that acquisition. Um, cool card to comment on the suit thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't be like the draft day or the suits probably wouldn't be my like primary choice. However, there's a little bit of nostalgia for me and especially growing up. And I think about just like, you know, growing up collecting cards and the Larry Johnson and the Dikembe Mutombo, all their rookie, they're all in suits. So there's like, there's a little bit of that. That's kind of like an ode to the nineties card in a way you got. And that, that went on forever, like, you know, in different sets. So that's kind of cool. I think just kind of a tip of the cap to some of the nineties stuff. You know, I love that. That speaks to the 90s. Collect. Maybe that's why I sort of unconsciously <laughs> gravitated to it as well. So it was uh, it was a very smooth uh, experience as a bidder. And that's I paid my invoice today. Everything was was just very clean and smooth. Um, and uh, yeah, so a little little pro tip. If you pay by credit, your, your buyer's premium is 23%. If you pay by wire, it's 20 um, and it, and your, your invoice will say that. So like I read the fine print of the invoice. I saw that on there, went ahead and paid by wire and saved myself, um, 3%. So <laughs> <you know. laughs> this is, this is becoming the, uh, every, everybody who's uh, preparing for the gold auction next time around, listen to this episode, <laughs> get prepped. You get, you yeah. just gave all the info anyone needs. There you go. There you go. Uh, and, and there were other cards that, in that range, I think, I don't know if this will ever happen again, because as soon as the cat is out of the bag, the cat's out of the bag. But there were other items in that range, what, what one might consider lower mid-end um, of the high end. I, don't, I come from a time when lower mid-end meant $100. <laughs> but, but you know, lower mid-range of the high end is like around that 10 to 50K range. And there were some cards in there that went for good prices. <laughs> so I got some steals on. So I heard a few weeks ago, you were talking about this with Josh in digging through like 
just the pages and pages. And there's so many cards and like there are cards on, you know, back pages. And like, I think you were talking about, well, there's so much happening that some of these cards might, you know, get, you know, picked up for a, a decent price. And I think your Lucas story, I would consider that a, a good buy at a good price. And I would, I would have said your card probably be at least two X that like, that's what I would think in my mind. Um, so I think it's an interesting thing. There's only so many people you would think who can buy these cards when they're all these auctions are ending at once. So there's gotta be opportunity for, you know, maybe cards that are, you know, anywhere between eight and, you know, 20 K there's gotta be opportunity there for people to get deal. I guess if you want to call them deals, but deals, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. Uh, on the one hand, the hobby was, I mean, dude, we were all pouring champagne and celebrating on behalf of golden when that, you know, group of elite investment money from Mark Cuban to Deshaun Watson to all the people uh, came in, you know, 40 million. We were like, this is awesome. Well, this one auction alone did for, oh, did over that. This one auction did 45.2 million. And you almost, so you almost think like as a thought experiment, what if, what if that same group of investors produced another 40 million and just bought every card in this auction and then just <laughs> sat on it for five years? How would that go? You know, uh, but so, so a $45 million auction to your point, you know, a lot of money. A lot of money flowing through, but you know what's amazing? You know, so with Card Letter, we look at uh, eBay data in parallel to auction house data, and and before this auction, Heritage had a huge auction that did tens of millions. You know, these big auctions from these big auction houses happen a couple times a month at least. Uh, but eBay, um, and eBay is the platform that hosts auctions by Probstein and PWCC, which are huge auction houses as well, and do tens and tens of millions every year. Uh, eBay didn't have any big auction houses have any big end, auctions end this weekend, but still it as a platform did around two and a half million on Sunday and around one and a half million on Saturday. And that's only the 9,000, or I guess we have about 8,300 cards in card ladder. That, that's, that's coverage of only those 8,300 cards doing that much on eBay while you know so much attention is placed over here. And that's not including everything that happened on Starstock Everything that happened on Com C. Oh, and by the way, there were card shows going on all over the place uh, over this weekend. And of course, none of those transactions get picked up. None of the private deals that happen on Facebook and Instagram, none of the fire sales, none of the Twitter sales, none of that stuff is being detected. So the, the amount of money pulsing through the hobby is a sight to behold. And it might, nobody might really fully grasp just how much it is. Totally. And I think my feedback to anyone who's been seeing, been a part of this and seeing it all take shape is be a fan, be a fan of what's happening. You don't feel like you're missing out because you can't participate in some of these big cars or whatever. Inevitably there are opportunities everywhere. And I, to me, the, this type of thing excites me. I think listening to you talk about those types of numbers is absolutely insane. But I think at the end of the day, if you're a collector and you're holding sports cards, stuff like this happening and happening again are only good. That's it's only good news for all of our collections. Yeah, man. And being a fan, I think you put that perfect that I can't help but be. But like when I feel myself 
feeling a little too transactional, you know, a little too analytical, you step back and you become a fan. Fandom is at the heart of a lot of this stuff. Uh, fandom is at the heart of collecting in a lot of ways. Fandom is one of the greatest parts of life. If you really want to think about it, get really deep with it. So great advice on the fandom front. And that's, that's what's nice about stacking slabs is that when I put on your content by the end of an episode, um, I'm a fan of the hobby all over again. That's how I want to feel. That's how I want my content to make me feel, you know? So kudos to you on that. Um, so maybe let's start here. So just, I'll, I'll maybe just maybe hit some categories and then yeah. I'll hit some cards and then you can, you know, if I missed anything you wanted to talk about, one of the things that I, that stood out to me and your, yours kind of fits into this in a little bit, but just the, the demand for gold prism cards. Mm. And we saw Damian Lillard card gold prism rookie uh, in a BGS 10 hit his all time high of any card ever sold. You had the 2015, 2016 Kobe in a BGS 9.5 gold prism go for 148 (laughs) K. Now that one, that one is, (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a dude that sold you, for more than one of his role one, that sold for more than his role one legacy uh rookie in a bgs 95 right and that dude, dude i saw that and i was like the prism gold and kobe like that it floored me and you compare that with the ad 2012 gold psa 9 185k and so i mean those are just the golds. You got the Dame, the 2015-2016 Kobe, 2012 AD, all hitting record highs. To me, and I'd love your feedback on this, to me, I, I saw all of those. The Kobe, I was like, oh my God. But when I saw <laughs> all those, to me, it just signified how important the gold prism card is to our hobby. It sure is now. Um, it sure is now. You Did you mention... The 2018 uh, Trey Gold PSA 10 Prism, by the way. I, I, I missed it. I missed okay. that one. For our guy, Lameem, um, that Trey did 112K uh, Trey Gold Prism rookie. So it was interesting how they staggered. Um, so the, the AD, like you said, that was 185K PSA 9 Prism Gold 2012 rookie. All right. Then the next one was that Kobe at 150, which, you know, I asked some good Kobe guys about that. I was like, was it the fact that this was his final playing year? Um, Cause I guess you, you don't, you only have so many prism golds that from when Kobe was active and a lot of people just, I know one guy who was bidding on it and he was like, um, a lot of Kobe guys just were like, yeah, no, I don't think anybody saw that card going that high. The 2015, 16 prism gold uh, BGS nine five. Oh, and let me make this point too, because this is one of my big takeaways from the auction. BGS did very well. You took the words out of my mouth because I was on my list. I was overwhelmed by the amount of BGS cards that were to PSA. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll circle back to that as we wrap up on Gold Prism, but BGS did very well. And I have some good apples to apples comparisons for that. So, so then you come down again, uh, then there's, so it was Davis, Kobe, Trey, Dame. You know, you have to look at that 2012 Dame Prism Gold BGS 10. And yet in, you know, 87, I mean, we were talking before, like, what does it mean for somebody to be overpriced? Well, it's overpriced relative to what I can afford. But that card doing 87 
when Trey PSA 10 did 112, you know, you just start looking at it and you're like, eh, somebody might've got a pretty good buy. I mean, it's a BGS 10, you know, like. So, so my perspective is Damian Lillard is a guy you can bring up in any basketball and any hobby circles. And everyone gives one of these like, man, I got mad respect for Damian Lillard. There's not one person in the hobby if you are, then something's wrong with you. But everyone loves Damian Lillard. And to me, Damian Lillard, when it's all said and done, will be, will be, he'll be like a fine wine, I think. I think he plays with this certain level of grit, toughness. He's got the moments. Yes, he's in a small market. But man, like if you're looking for a guy to put your money behind, there's not many more than Damian Lillard. And you compare 87, and I don't want to put... Trey under the bus, but Damian Lillard's a multiple time all-star. He's like, his moments matter in just, man, like I think whoever ended up with that at 87 K out of my price range, but they probably got a good deal when it's all said and done. I think that's right, man. You make a really good point there. There's not many times in the hobby where there's like this undeniable consensus about something. Like, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes a lot of people think about, will Flawless and Immaculate ever catch up to National Treasures? Uh, you know, Flawless, for example, has game used, whereas National Treasures is player worn. You know, there's lots of things that, that the story that Flawless tells is, is good, but, but there's debate. You know, some people think National Treasures are best. Some people think Flawless will catch it or surpass it one day. You know, National Treasures, people say it's the first one to come out. It's the flagship brand. Like, there's debate. There's not consensus. There's different opinions. And sometimes like, you know, uh, that debate can lead to something gaining traction. Like I remember before Optic and Select took off in 2019, there was debate about, are these undervalued? Are people overlooking Optic? It looks just like the old Topps Chrome. Are people overlooking this? Are people overlooking Select? Was You know, and then it happens. It, it One catalyzing moment happens which was like the breakout season for Luca and people thought prism got too high. And then they started looking for other stuff. And then all of a sudden everything's changed forever. And so you look at Lillard and it's very rare that you have a consensus where everybody is like, yeah, I see that. I see the logic behind that. It makes sense. I agree. Lillard is, and in to throw on to that Lillard, his, his rookie selection is very limited because he had a contract with leaf that precluded the inclusion of on-card autographs Mm. on a number of items. So like Lillard has like some flawless on-card autograph rookies, but his rookie selection is very limited, especially compared to how the print runs have increased and the product lines have increased over the last two or three years. So, I mean, not only is Lillard prism gold and like I is, it is a BGS 10, but like those that year prism grades better, generally speaking, but not only was it a Lillard rookie prism gold from the first year of prism in a BGS 10, but like also Lillard doesn't have that many key rookie cards. So, you know, I, I hope, I hope uh, whoever won that card, you know, uh, enjoys, I think they, they made a great purchase. I mean, great. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, you think that Dame is a lifer in Portland, who knows, maybe he ends up somewhere else for his last lap, but like, Man, if if Dame gets an MVP or if Dame, you know, God forbid, wins a championship, I mean that 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 card's that card's doubling just because everybody loves Dame, you know? Yeah, no, everybody does, man. Charles Barkley always picks Portland to be the team. I mean, there is just it's just all around. There's universal praise for Dame. So you know, and 
and, and on the flip side of that, you know, you have Davis, 186, 185, 186K for isn't a PSA nine. Same year at Prism. Davis does have a championship. Davis currently has the third best player efficiency rating of career of any player, only behind Jordan and LeBron. So very cool, exciting, low-key player uh, that maybe isn't so low-key anymore when his Prism Gold is doing a number like that. Um, but you know, you just you think about it and you you got you got to look at that Lillard and say he's a highly collectible player. There's a lot to like. There's a lot to root for. He's a league pass must watch. I don't know. I'm not we're, sure what happened. Yeah, well, we're we're gonna get probably. I'm sure we're gonna get back to basketball with some of the heavy hitters. But I want to yeah. touch touch on football. Um, football's been going not not. It's been busier than it has in years past. Right. I think. A big reason for that is uh, TB12. A big reason for that is Patty Mahomes. If anyone has been living under a rock, they hey played in a game, the last game of the NFL season. Uh, Tom Brady won his seventh. Um, news flash for you. But I think I've noticed this from and what I love to do on Carlet. My favorite thing to do on Carletter every day is every morning going through the headlines and then the sales history of all time highs. It's just it's just that's that's how that's like my me reading the paper it's like that's what i do and uh i've just noticed this influx in just football cards hitting all-time highs um and so i want i was curious we're we're talking about in february this happening usually there's a dip right after the super bowl so i'm curious you've got some of these cards going at the golden auction what are, what are they going to do and obviously we saw here's some ones i i noted I noted the 2000 SP authentic PSA 10 Tom Brady uh, for 185K plus. I noted the Patty Mahomes National Treasure Stars and Stripes BGS 9.5. And by the way, the Stars and Stripes, in my opinion, in football NT, I, I, it's a freaking brilliant card. I love that card. Uh, 584K. I noticed the Josh Allen, a lot of confidence in the Josh Allen market. The his NT Shield one of one BGS nine went for his all time high in a card two hundred and ten k. And then the final one I'll touch on is the young hype around a guy that I think we all, if you watch football, think he's going to be pretty damn good. And that's Justin Herbert. His contender Super Bowl ticket BGS nine one of one went for hundred and sixty one k. So. That is a lot of confidence and money in some quarterbacks that are actively playing some big cards. What is your what is your perspective on just some of those numbers and anything else in, on the football side? Really, really. Uh, so, so again, uh, all these BGS slabs, right? All these BGS slabs. You mentioned the Brady SP, which is a PSA ten. By the way, it nearly 4X'd what it sold for. The last comp was 51K from December. <laughs> so the market has 4X'd on his ultra high end since December after the Super Bowl hangover. You know, we're in the Super Bowl hangover right now. I think on Brady, I think we're in we're in this the we're in this period where like it hasn't sunk in yet. Like at first it was like newsworthy that he won seven and everybody superficially understands it and talks about it. Then we all kind of Okay, the football season's over. We need to decompress from it. I personally don't find myself, you know, if if Ryan Rosillo's latest podcast is all about football, I'm I'm going on to listen to something else right now. I'm just not in the mood for football. I need a break from it for a little while. We're all in that mode. When we go back into football mode again, which is coming up, 
and we go back to thinking about what seven Super Bowls means, and we go back to thinking about how to prepare for this next season and who's going to be the favorites and why, why shouldn't Brady be favored after what he just did? And, and we go back to thinking about all that stuff. I just think the seven rings is going to sink in. I just think the appreciation for Brady's legacy is going to get stronger. I just think the desire and the appetite for his collectibles is going to be really high. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm not a Brady collector. I don't own any Brady cards, but the logic to the logic there to me is overwhelming. And the, and the reason why I really think it is, is because I even run this by a couple people from time to time and they just don't see it. You know, they, it's not that they don't, the logic doesn't make sense. They're just like, why are you thinking about that? Like, what do you mean? Like, like, yeah, Brady's the goat, you know, people know in football. And I just, I'm like, no, I don't think it's sunk in yet. I don't think seven has sunk in yet. I don't think what he did with Tampa Bay has sunk in yet. It's especially take it from a Jordan guy who lived through the Wizards years. I, I just don't think what happened has really sunk in yet with Brady. Yeah. And I think just to comment on that, so I've obviously sat on the other side of the fence so, so many years as a Peyton Manning guy, but I, I, I think, you know, this year, especially with Tampa, as me as a fan of football and watching Brady do what he did, I, I decided that there, there, the time to hate was over with. And part of the reason was that my, my man Peyton, you know, he's boys with TB12. If he's boys with TB12, why can't I appreciate? So that's what I decided to do, appreciate. And I'm watching this guy play, and I'm just like, the how prepared, how just his level of leadership, his communication with his team. I have a a a whole new appreciation, especially what he did in Tampa. And I'm not even like a Tom Brady fan or whatever, but now I'm such a football collector and such a fan. I'm like, damn, like I'm sitting here. It's like, do I get my hands on a Brady card now before they're completely out of reach? Which many of them are, but like. I never would have thought that I would have any interest in, in obtaining a Brady card, but now I feel like the guys won seven Super Bowls. It's almost like, I feel like pairing with he's the, one of the greatest rivals ever is Peyton versus Brady. And it's like, man, I, I do, I do, I need one to pair with my Peyton PC. And so that's where I'm at on it, dude. Yeah. And, uh, and you're so wise to, cause look, you know, we all as fans of players feel a loyalty to our player. So, but you're you're very wise to look at it and from the point of view of a Peyton collector and to say, look, whatever Brady does, it doesn't change what Peyton did. And it in in football is such a team-oriented game anyway, without getting on too many tangents here. When <laughs> when the Brady ship rises, the Peyton ship rises too. Absolutely. A lot of people don't think like that, you know, because they, they're too reactionary. This Luca sold for 4.6 million. Boo. Hate that. <laughs> sucks people are dumb <laughs> like wait a minute if luca's that what does that put jordan at what does that put lebron at what does that put kobe at what is that how does that affect everything else you know i've i've seen i've seen the gains of peyton manning's bowman chrome refractor since tom brady won his seventh i i, I i'm paying attention <laughs> if brady wins another one the the peyton cards will go up totally and dude you, okay, so the so the Bowman Chrome Refractor Brady, the PSA ten pop is seven. That card's like in that that's that's like in that ninety six Chrome Kobe BGS ten realm to me. And I see Carlet has a predicted value of a million, just shy of a million nine hundred fifty k on the Bowman Chrome Refractor Brady. And honestly, that number is probably low because like we were talking about, a lot of predictions are low right now. 
the the Bowman Chrome Refractor Brady PSA nine is only a pop of fifty six, and you know that card's probably worth about eighty k if the prediction's to be trusted. The BGS nine point five is a pop of thirty one. Prediction is like two hundred and ten k. So the in 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 the the overall pop of that card is just low. It's just it's low, dude. So like, I guess my pro tip would be if somebody if you're out in the wild at a show, you know, or you you can you got a way to get your hands on a Bowman Chrome Refractor Brady. It's an interesting play. Yeah, I mean, if if you have the money to pay for one and you come across one, to me that card will for it's based on its scarcity, based on its significance, based on the player on the card. That card is the the captain Kevin Randall says it's the eighty six Flair Jordan a football card. So it's like. That card, to me, if this hobby continues on the trajectory that we believe it is, that card's only going to go up. Um, I didn't realize the population was that low. That's ridiculous. No, I it's <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, it, someone pointed out to me we didn't have it in card left. And I was like, wow, why don't we have this? And then I was like, oh, we have the PSA 9. Why don't we have any other grades? And it was like because the sales history was so small that when we were first starting, it didn't even make sense to like, but now we have a big sales history. We have lots of cards to base predictions on. So it's like, let's get these cards in there. And then I'm starting running the math. I'm looking at the predictions and I'm like, this card is poised to set some records if and when it sells. Uh, do you have, do you have any comments on the, um, like the Mahomes yes. and, and it doesn't seem like, and this is, you're in the data more than me, but it, it seems like, Last year, Mahomes wins the Super Bowl. His cards go down. This year, he loses the Super Bowl, and his cards are steady. Is that right? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, and like it, it does make a ton of sense. But like the mar- the expansion of the market has has to have a lot to do with that. But uh, yeah, no. So the Mahomes NT did three hundred k, which which is historically in line with its relationship to the silver PSA 10. So the prediction put it at 270. So like, it's right there. It's it's right there where we would expect it to sell. And 300K for a football NTRPA out of 99 and a BGS 95, um, you know, that's just, it's a very respectable price. And it's interesting because it lines up very neatly with what the Giannis NTRPA sold for, which that went for around 300K. Uh, so- and there are some analogs. Giannis and Mahomes are about the same age. Um, you know, both of them uh, MVP caliber every year. Uh, but Mahomes has the titles. So, you know, Mahomes to football is a bigger story than Giannis is to basketball, probably. I don't think I'm saying anything too controversial there. But it's just interesting to see how the markets sync up like that. And in Mahomes, man, he's definitely pulling up the whole modern football world. With the sale, I mean, the last sale that I see of a Mahomes NTRPA was fifty grand in July. So, you know, you bought that for fifty in July, and it's six x since then. I mean, it's just kind of emblematic of what the the blue chip players have done. So, so I didn't realize. So, I I had written down the Mahomes NT stars and stripes. Uh, I didn't realize that he had a true RPA sell oh, too. Sorry, I didn't even realize. Yeah, no, the stars and stripes is a dude. Mahomes is half a million dollar card count is starting to get crazy. <laughs> He's got a lot of cards that are worth a half a million dollars or more, including uh, the stars and stripes one. But, but yeah, he also did. He had uh number 17 and 99 NTRPA was in this auction as well. BGS nine five. So then 
and this isn't, I don't know. I think on potential, I don't want to get this twisted, but like I'm looking at this list and the significance and like pointing it over to, to, to basketball. And Josh Allen, I think, you know, I actually was having a conversation with my brother about this. And we were talking about football in the market. And I asked him the question. I'm like, all right, so you got Brady and you got Mahomes now. And after this season, is Josh Allen the, that next quarterback? And he agreed that he was. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I think he is based on what he did this season and then going into the playoffs. Granted, his, his uh, shield, one of one, 210K. He hasn't won that Super Bowl yet, but neither has, you know, you know, we, the, we talked about the gold list with Dame, you know, we've, we've could, we could talk about Luca forever. Um, but it seems like on the football card market, uh, Josh Allen has kind of replaced the Lamar Jackson. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, it is fair to say, uh, well, uh, replace his entry or maybe equated, maybe equated, uh, because their prism-based PSA tens are, are pretty close, um, it, but you know, from the perspective of the 2018 uh, draft class, which had the both of them, yeah, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who's higher on Lamar than Josh Allen right now. I almost think that might be a that that might be a mistake because the Ravens are going to be contenders, man. Always, always. <laughs> Ravens are in Buffalo doesn't have quite the same track record, but. Josh Allen's a special quarterback. The, the number that that card did is huge. Uh, Justin Herbert is a special quarterback as well. I, I see those two is is attracting similar uh, appreciation, similar collector types. Yeah, no doubt. Football cards are live and well. Let, admit, let's maybe move over. Okay, so like I have my list of like bangers, and I'm just gonna say some of the bangers that like stood out to me. And obviously we were remiss not to have this conversation and not talk about the tops, Chrome refractor, Kobe black label, 1.7 million. There's that. Uh, there's the, the, the Luca in T uh, RPA PSA 10, 584 K. There's the KD record of the rookie <laughs> rookie exquisite BGS nine at almost 800 K. There is the LeBron exquisite, BGS 8.5 at 1.5 mil. <laughs> and then one just to throw out there, there's the Tiger card, the SB Authentic, uh, gold PSA 10, high at 344K, highest golf card ever sold. So that's, that's quite a list there. Dude, yeah. I mean, I don't, it's quite the list to be sure. Um, you just named some very important sales. Let me name two more. Um, Curry, Steph Curry had two RPAs in this auction, NT, one PSA 9, one BGS 9. The PSA 9, 430, and the, B, and the BGS 9, 370. So not a big gap there. Um, I think that speaks well to BGS slabs on premium cards. Again, you know, in, like look at all the cards you just listed off. The BGS 10 Colby refractor, the LeBron exquisite at 1.5 was a BGS 8.5. Like the, the um, Durant exquisite was a BGS nine. I mean, BGS has a lot of big cards in their slabs and, you know, not to, not to take anything away from PSA because obviously PSA we're measuring them by a different standard. <laughs> you know, the standard that we're measuring them by is like their gems are supposed to be two X Beckett's 
And, you know, they're P- the PSA 9 is supposed to get a big premium over BGS 9s. Like, that's kind of the standard that the PSA gets judged by. It's a different standard. So, relative to what we've come to expect, BGS had a really strong showing. There's just, that's one of the stories of this auction to me is that the big cards, a lot of them were in BGS cases and they, they just sold really well. Uh, Durant is really interesting, you know, to, to have an RPA and it's the Jersey numbered one is the, it's, it, it's, uh, it's limited to 35. And this was, this one's particular was number 23, but it's, it's the rookie parallel, uh, numbered to 35. So for that RPA to be, you know, getting up there towards a million, I mean, that would have been unthinkable a year ago on a Durant card. Durant, and this happens in this hobby a lot, and, it, and people who are very clever do well. They find that next guy or that next thing that hasn't been appreciated yet, That's that, that it, like, like Lillard might be one of those. I don't know. They find it, and then all of a sudden, 10x, like overnight. Or in the case of, for example, the Joe Rogan 2009 Topps UFC rookie card. Uh, rookie card, you know, he's, he's just like in a suit, but... That card uh, sold for $3 forever. All of a sudden, in like January, it's a $300 card. Just freaking 100 X's because, you know, a couple people said, whoa, this might be undervalued and boom, 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 boom. Now it's a $300 card. I don't, I don't typically like to talk about my own personal PC in these types of conversations, but it, you brought up Rogan and just it triggered it. It's when I was looking at the pop reports and I was studying the, uh, the 2002 uh, Fleer Royal Rumble set. There is Batista. There's Randy Orton. There's uh, John Cena, um, Brock Lesnar, all rookie cards in that set. And I went to PSA and I went and started looking at the pop reports. And first of all, I've talked to enough wrestling card collectors that say that set is very difficult to grade. And the, the the product is very very rare to to find that unopened wax. Granted, somebody heard me talk about it, and he he wasn't a wrestling card collector, and thought his local hobby shop might have packs. He went over to his local hobby shop. I can't remember which handle it was or who it was at this point, but he he DM'd me and he said, "Is this the the are these the packs?" And I said, "Those are them." And I go, "What do you what do you have to pay for those?" And he goes. Two dollars a piece. And I was like, all right, someone who owned a shop not knowing. But this John Cena card, you know, it's John Cena. He's you know, people know him, people who aren't wrestling fans. And you know, I picked up his PSA nine card for 700 bucks. And there's the population on those cards is very, very low. And now I'm I just look at PWCC's got one up and that card is soaring. So I think it's just there's an element of like for me. I would have never have gravitated to that card if I didn't have a personal interest in wrestling and sure. John Cena, but it just goes to show you like go, there are the next thing. There will always be the next thing, but I, it has to kind of line up with your personal interest because you know, $700 is a lot of money still like, and so, but I wanted that because I felt like I wanted a piece of a red wrestling legend. And I think there's a lot of those types of opportunities in the hobby. You just got to look and it's got to line up with, kind of your personal passion as well. Yeah, that's one of the best parts of this hobby is when you're in on something before the the masses and you just love it and then people come around to it and they they share it with you. And then it's validation and everybody's getting the same joy that you are getting out of that 
particular card or that particular collectible. I mean, that's really one of the best parts of this hobby, man. It, it really is. And like, you know, it is a, it's sort of a, a motivational or inspirational side to it. Like, dude, I see it time and time and time again. And honestly, if somebody just went to card ladder and just like looked at the submissions list, like you'll find stuff before someone like me sees it like cards, 10 X instantly. When some, when just one person puts a spotlight on it by like setting a high bin uh, that, that gets other people looking at it. Like I mentioned Yao Ming before, like that was one, a, a recent one, but like, dude, <laughs> this has happened to so many like eighties and nineties, like baseball players lately. It's happening. It's, it's just, uh, maybe it's like a little motivational, inspirational, like, dude, there are opportunities out there day and night for people to use their analytical thought process, trust their gut, their collector instincts, and find something that people haven't discovered yet. Totally. And I got to just shout out everyone who jumped on KD when he was hurt and he wasn't the sexiest player in the NBA because there was so much other stuff going on, but people had confidence and said, Hey, he's injured. He'll be better. He'll be better on the other side of this. And let's not forget. He's one of the league's best players. And the people who did that are reaping the benefits of that, especially after what we're seeing with some of these golden sales. So shout out to people who had confidence in KD. You're getting rewarded for it at this point. Totally. And there's, there's, there's uh there KD is a prime example of a huge beneficiary of a player whose market had lagged. Like there's two types of player. There's two types of basically like players in this hobby. In my opinion, there's a very few that belong in the category of value setters. Like the hobby waits to see what their card sells for. And then everything else adjusts accordingly. And once in a while, like a new guy can come up and like, reset the market but usually it's like jordan and lebron in basketball who are setting markets and like in the modern stuff it's like luca and Giannis and, and kind of zion are setting and so what happens though uh the value setters like set the market and then there's the their other category which is the you know the the, the people who catch up who who and so like with durant you know he was just lagging for the longest time and then all of a sudden boom his RPA, you know, the one out of 35, like all of a sudden, like, bam, now it's right in line. Like Curry is another guy who's a value setter. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, boom, Durant prices, like once, you know, we're lagging Curry and now tied, like, boom, just instantly tied Curry. And so like when they're, when you, when you find that player who's, who all the logic is there that this player makes sense, but the price isn't there, this, the velocity at which that player's market catches up to their logical comp is lightning fast uh, just because it's how people in the hobby think, you know, they're just, they're doing simple thought processes in their head. If LeBron tops Chrome is this and the pop on it is this, then Durant should be this and Kyrie should be, (laughs) that's not a clean comp, but like that thought process happens over and over and over again. And this, the velocity, which a player's market can catch up is just lightning fast. It can happen overnight a card can immediately catch up that was lagging behind for years. Totally. And we'll bring this one home here, but I do, I don't want to look, I don't want to gloss over the point you made about BGS. I think it BGS has been the, the, the company that's been easy to point fingers at, whether it's their archaic, you know, website and the whole process of subbing and, you know, the counterfeit stuff. And, you know, they, they haven't had a great, 
year or so. But I think if you go look at the golden auction results and you look at a lot of the slabs, these collector cards are in it's BGS. So the collecting community or the people that are willing to pay a premium on this car, these cards have a lot of confidence in the BGS slab and the BGS market. And it's all about PSA. It's all about PSA all the time, but there it's also a lot of new participants coming in talking about PSA and there's this market and PSA is PSA and it, they stand on their own. Believe I, I, I know that. And there's a premium for PSA, but I also think don't lose sight in of what's happening with BGS. There's slabs, there's cards that I prefer BGS, uh, my cards in BGS slabs. I have plenty of BGS slabs. Chris, I know you do too. I, I don't think there will, I don't, even though I don't, I just don't expect people just to be like one day, all right, these cards aren't a value anymore. So I think that as a collector of both cards in PSA and BGS slabs, the results of this and seeing all these big deals in, in, in back uh, holders is, is a good sign for the hobby. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm, you know, I still think uh, there's a lot to be said about Beckett as a brand. I have the utmost respect for Dr. James Beckett. I think he is a, he's on the hobby Mount Rushmore without a doubt. And he's, he's a personal icon and inspiration to me. So, you know, I, I just think a slab bearing his name is a special thing. And uh, man, we if, if this market saw some more signs of life from you know BGS's uh, outreach category, you know, I, I don't know, man. I think I think BGS is is uh, is a really exciting is an exciting place right now. BGS is like BGS is like Kevin Durant when he was injured. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh boy. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, people are going to, you're going to, I'm going to ask you, Hey, how, after this episode went live, how the, uh, how's uh BGS slabs trending on card ladder right now? <laughs> uh, close it, close this out. We, we went through a lot. This was a, a big action packed episode with a ton of insight. What it, what is just like, what is your like after golden or anything else? What's a big takeaway you want to leave everyone with? Oh, uh, has this hobby ever been more fun? Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, cause like you said, we're going through growing pains. So I think there are brighter days ahead as we figure out how to navigate this new landscape and we figure out how to keep it fun and keep it exciting and keep it positive and keep it uplifting and keep it about fandom and keep it about community and keep it about the love of cards. And, um, you know, honestly, right now, the whole market is has has cooled off a bit. Uh, Jordan Fleers, excluding the PSA 10, which itself, you know, is down from its 720K all time high to about 615 to 600K. The other lower grades have cooled off even more. Some of them have cut in half from their peak. Same thing. LeBron tops Chrome has come down 25 percent. Kobe tops Chrome rookie base has come down 25%. Though that grade of cards, you know, that uh, 10 to 50K, you know, entry level, but serious money collector rookie cards has taken a step back lately. Uh, I remember when the market took a step back, took several steps back in October. I remember it very, very well. I remember writing headlines for Card Ladder and struggling to find eight all-time highs. <laughs> it happened. I remember those nights. And uh, we are nowhere near that, but the hobby has cooled off a little bit. We're, we're just not seeing the FLIR and all that the 86 FLIR set all time highs. 
people who bought cards with confidence in October have done so freaking well just a few months later right now. You know, people in this hobby are always, you know, looking for opportunities and keep your eyes peeled because there might be some opportunities happening right now. And and I think, you know, by the time we get back into NBA playoffs are coming up and then MLB gets into its full swing and then before you know it, the NFL season is here and you don't get too many opportunities where a market shows some signs of softening. So there might be some good opportunities out there right now. I love it. We uh, do what we typically do. We went Broadway and then some here. <laughs> Everyone go check out uh, Chris's uh, handle. If you're not Chris underscore HOJ on the IG, hit the crossover. What are you doing? You got to check out the crossover on Friday night. Some of the most fun we're having in the hobby. And of course, give a card ladder a, a little look-see. It's a tool I've been using for quite some time and it makes me uh, better. Chris, thanks so much for your time, buddy. Uh, talk to you again real soon. Thanks, man. We went Broadway and then some. That's what we do here. Just got to pull the plug. We could have gone on forever. One of my favorite guests on the Stacking Slabs podcast. Definitely go check out Card Ladder. Go check out Chris's Instagram handle. It's a good place to be. He's a good dude. I always enjoy my conversations with him. Definitely go sign up for the newsletter, the weekly rip, link in the bio. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And I'll be back next week.